Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Style Power video podcast series. I am so excited to be joined by Rachna Chowdhury, CMO and co-founder of Popbox, uh, which I'm not going to try to explain. I'm going to let her do that for you. Um, but it is definitely something that you need to know about, which is why I'm very excited to talk with you a bit more today about you know your journey to founding uh, Popbox, as well as you know everything that you've learned and moved through <laughs> to get to that to get to where you are now. Well, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you. So tell me a little bit. Tell me what what is Popbox first off. Popbox is a nonpartisan platform that helps people connect with their lawmakers. So every bill pending before Congress is on the platform, and you can find an issue you care about or something, a proposal pending in Congress, and then you can write your own letter to your lawmakers. You don't need to know who they are, you just need to know your story of why it's important to you. The beauty of Popbox is then we deliver your letter to your lawmaker and then aggregate it with others. So in real time, you get an assessment of what other people are thinking. And oftentimes the realization is you are not alone. There's others that have the same experiences and there's that power in, in numbers. Well, and one thing to add that I really love about the platform is that you can go and read the bill yourself. So just, I really want to clarify that. Because in, in this day and age, I feel like you're kind of, we're, we're looking at each other like, what is the truth? What is the verbiage that we really should be paying attention to? Not what is potentially even unconsciously being sort of twisted somehow in the media, even if they are trying to be as unbiased as possible. Right. And in an era of fake news, we want to know what the source of information is, and it's our responsibility to check on that. So providing all this information directly from Congress on Popbox makes it easier to check up on what is the truth, yeah. and then you can make your own assessment. You don't have to depend on someone else to tell you what you should think. Perfect. So, that being said, let's talk about what led you to found Popbox. Uh, being an entrepreneur as well, you know, I know what it takes to kind of have that clarity of conviction um, and then what it takes to keep it moving forward. But what was that aha moment that you, you knew this is what you had to do to take that leap? So, before founding Popbox, I was working for a nonprofit organization as a lobbyist. And my responsibility was to talk about the issues with lawmakers and their staffers. And what I quickly realized was the information that Congress wanted were real stories from real constituents that live in their districts. Mm -hmm. They didn't want petitions or tweets or even form letters. They wanted real stories of real people's experiences. Mm -hmm. And I understood that organizations and individuals were providing that information. Right. So Popbox was created basically to solve that problem. It was a solution to this problem of miscommunication with constituents in Congress. And Popbox makes it easier for Congress to get the information that they need to do their job, which is real stories from real constituents. That's amazing. So let's talk a little bit more about, okay, you saw there was a problem and you saw that there could be a solution, and what 
it has taken to actually create the solution to that problem. And that part is still <laughs> a work in progress. And I think anyone that started their own thing, whether it's a business or a platform or anything in between, knows that it's always a labor of love mm -hmm. and you're always getting more information and more feedback to improve on the natural idea. And sometimes that's an evolution. Um, for Popbox, it certainly has been. And we've, based on users telling us, giving us feedback, we've been able to improve on our site tremendously. Um, but at the same time, that there's a jumping off point where you say, okay, I am going to start this. This is not just an idea I have, but I'm going to move on it and do something. Mm -hmm. And um, for, for a lot of people, that point varies. My, the point I always stress to people that are in that position is find a team, don't do this alone, and find someone else, a partner or maybe two people mm -hmm. that understand the problem, and then go talk to other people. And go come up with an idea, talk to other people, make that idea better. Even if they tell you it's not going to work, right. ask them why not, and then try to plug those holes that mm -hmm. you might have in your idea till it's so strong that you're, you know that this is going to work. So how long was it from idea to implementation? So in that I actually mean from having the idea of what you would want to do to solve this problem to knowing, okay, I can commit to this full time. <laughs> yeah, and that <laughs> took about a year for us. And my co-founders and I, um, we understood how we could solve it, mm -hmm. but then we needed to uh, we needed the technology part of it, we needed buy-in from different organizations, and we also needed some funding support as well. So putting all of that together took over a year till we finally said, okay, we'll launch. And then once we launched and we had a website that was working, we had our moms as like our first <laughs> users. And we thought, you know, if our moms could figure this out yeah. in their busy schedules and they could participate, then we were onto something. Absolutely. And especially, you know, being different places of on the digital spectrum. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Making it as easy as possible for anybody to use the platform yeah. would be Yeah, and even if you don't know technology, mm -hmm. there's always courses that you can take to familiarize yourself. But then also you can just connect with the right people. Right. There's people out there with the tech skills that are looking for a cool innovative project. So you can always just make a match that way and find a co-founder. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing is, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> yeah. Basically, you know, if you're coming up against a, a no maybe or some sort of a roadblock, it's looking at how do you create that workaround? What is the resource? Who is the person? Um, but let's talk about actually the fact that you have co-founders because I'm a solopreneur, I know a lot of others who are solopreneurs, and I know from a venture capital perspective, they prefer to have a team versus a solo founder, but then you run into the problem of sometimes the teams don't actually have the same you know, ultimate vision, perhaps exit strategy, so how did that come to be or evolve for you and your team? And I think that that's always something that you don't just solve it one time, you have to solve it over and over because as the company grows or as you bring on more ideas, mm -hmm. 
there might be differences of opinion, right. but communication is critical. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's like a marriage, like you work <laughs> through it. Um, yeah. and, and it helps to have people that you can bounce ideas off of. When I meet solo entrepreneurs like yourself, I think, oh wow, the burden is just on you. And right. that can be scary from like a risk point of view, but then also scary from where do you bounce ideas or how, how does that decision process, the decision making process happen? Absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, it can't just be within your co-founders or in, in your case, uh, just a solo founder. You have to have a network of people that are there that don't have any skin in the game that can give mm. you some honest feedback. Mm. For Popbox, oftentimes that's our users who come up with new ideas, who tell us if there's like a bug or something that's not working for them. And that kind of feedback, whether we solicit it with like a user survey or whether it's just a user reaching out to us mm. is really important because at the end of the day, it's all about them. If it's not useful to them, whatever that the product is, right? It's you're not going to succeed as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. What's the value proposition? And yeah, absolutely. Listening to the needs, truly, which kind of actually takes me into the conversation around leadership. As again, you have a you have your leadership team. You've built the business to have people that you manage. Um, but how do you see yourself as a leader and what does leadership mean to you? So leadership for me is, it comes in different levels. It's one, of course, within my company or my organization, but then even beyond that, what is my role in my community as well? Mm -hmm. And especially for women, we need to think about not just getting the job done, but are we contributing something to the community at large, whether it's the entrepreneur community or in my case, the advocacy community. I have a voice that I want to share as well. Um, and I get asked by a lot of college students or graduate students who are women about whether they should start their own thing as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, being a leader means sharing the lessons I've learned and that could be good or bad, <laughs> and hopefully listening to what they they have to say mm -hmm. and then giving advice accordingly. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think what's interesting about what you're saying as far as just the listening piece alone and being willing to share and be vulnerable with sometimes things don't work, you know, sometimes we make mistakes, whatever it is, the lessons that we learned but also you touched on having a sense of purpose essentially would you say that that is uh, and you also mentioned that it's this is something that women tend to have like have you seen that across the board with maybe taking your experience outside of DC as well <laughs> yes. Yes. I have noticed being here in DC that everyone is purpose-driven and I actually very much appreciate that about DC when I lived in LA, not as much the case. And we actually have LA in common, just different schools in LA. So if USC and UCLA can get along, guys, we can all get along. <laughs> that is true. Go Bruins. Yeah, right on. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
And I think for for people based in Washington, D.C., the distinction is that we often find our purpose with our jobs. Mm. When you look all over the country, you see people that are doing things that could be outside of their jobs. That's where they find meaning. And whether it's through a community group or where they volunteer or through their church, they're doing something to give back right. in their own way that might not be on their business card. Mm -hmm. uh, D.C. is very unique because people come here because they often want to change the world. Right. And I came here for grad school with public policy in mind because I wanted to make my mark and have a voice in influencing how laws are made in this country. Now, whether that took the form of working on the Hill or working for a nonprofit organization or now uh, through Pop Box, mm -hmm. that's been my goal. Yeah. But there's so many people that are doing so many other things. And for women, I think it's, it's also accepting what you're doing, whether you're volunteering for your kids' PTA or volunteering um, somewhere in your community, that you are playing a leadership role. That's not just, oh, I'm helping my kids' school out. That's doing something that's contributing that's beyond yourself. And that, that is a form of leadership that sometimes women just... They just take it as part of their many roles mm -hmm. uh, and don't feel that they're in a position to give advice. But actually, they are being leaders. Absolutely. I could not agree more with that sentiment, I think, especially as I see me, maybe even myself, even with launching You Styled, there was a number, there was a, over a year of thought that went into it myself. Not so much planning because it's a service based business, but this idea of well, wait, how would I charge someone for helping them find clothes? Because it just was something that came naturally for me. And I think that that's something that is very common among women, where they're, the things that come easiest to them are their natural gifts. So, well, but doesn't, isn't that easy for everybody? Have you experienced any of that yourself? Yes. <laughs> and I think for me also, uh, I love to talk and connect with people and, uh, and that's a really good skill to have in a lot of ways, especially in a place like D.C. where Absolutely. information sharing is critical. And I think women are natural connectors and relationship builders. Mm -hmm. The comment that I frequently get uh, is about um, public speaking. Mm -hmm. Oh, you make this so easy. This must be very easy for you. And actually, I might be nervous. Right. And you might not know that I'm nervous, but... I am nervous. I'm always nervous speaking right. in front of people. But that's part of what makes me prepared as well. If I wasn't nervous and I thought, oh, I can just wing this, then I wouldn't need to prepare. Exactly. Uh, but fake it till you make it. That's the advice that I give so many women. If you don't think you're like 100% qualified to do whatever it is you need to do, you're probably like a realist and you're probably like, 75% qualified so just go for it right. and learn as you go and ask the right questions and listen absolutely and you'll get the rest of the way absolutely I couldn't agree more I actually was having that conversation with my father yesterday <laughs> another you know CEO he was listening to this panel at a manufacturing conference you know a male dominated industry uh, DC is still pretty male dominated even though there are a lot of amazing women here uh, you know, so it's, it's that same idea. And they had commented that the number one thing that they see, and we've seen these studies out there, they've been out here for a while, where uh, women don't 
apply for the job unless they're, they feel like they meet every mark of the qualification. Whereas men are like, yeah, I got this, of course. But it's not so much that, in my mind, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, it's not so much that it's, it's about we need to be 100% ready, we need, or even just that we should be raising our hand more. It's that there's actually so much value in learning that other 25% on the job. I don't, have you experienced yeah. anything like that? Or? Yeah. yeah, completely. <laughs> and you don't need, a job isn't supposed to be something you go into knowing 100% of the entire task. That would be True. kind of boring, actually. Right. So you want something that challenges you, and when, it, when you get challenged, you often become inspired and innovative and creative. And we've all been in situations where our budget or our resources are like this little, but our task is this large, right. and we make it work, and we're creative like that. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially for women, we can make, we can oh, stretch yes. resources, we can do whatever it takes, um, using our relationships, using our connections, and that's something that wouldn't be on a job description that you're applying for. That's right. just something innate, and we have to remember that, that we can stretch things so far and so wide, and we bring that, even if you can't articulate that in a cover letter. So, so yeah, go reach, go beyond what you think you're capable of, and it makes things a lot more fun. Well, and the idea of a cover letter actually not being able to communicate what you're capable of, I mean, that's completely true. What would be, for someone who is maybe, you know, whether they're just starting out or they're going for a promotion at a company that's outside of there, so they don't have connections at that company, they don't have a visibility at that company, a way to make themselves stand out on the cover letter, elsewhere? Have you experienced anything like that, even yourself maybe? Um, probably, because I've written so many cover letters <laughs> throughout my career. Uh, but oftentimes, if you bring your own experience, I did this in this situation, this, the, the result doesn't have to be exactly what they're looking for, mm -hmm. but it's that process of what, how you were creative, how you reached out across the aisle, or how you um, brought in um, unlikely coalition partners, or something that, that shows that you can be innovative. Right. Um, telling that story using, I did this, you know, I grew this, I built this, um, creates that sense of ownership and um, authenticity. But you have to be able to be proud of what you did yes, and put it on paper and not make it into a, oh, we did this or my company was able to do this. On a cover letter, they want to hear about what you did. You know, and what I'm hearing actually is advocacy for yourself. Yes. Not just for your cause, which for women is often very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I'm very surprised with, with um, women, especially as they start their career here in Washington, D.C., they're very hesitant to ask for help or ask for advice. Mm -hmm. I'll speak to a group of students or young professionals, and oftentimes it's the men or the, the young men that I get um, emails from saying, hey, would you like to have coffee with me? I want to pick your brain about something. Mm -hmm. 
I don't get that from the women, even right. though I'm, I'm here, I'm a resource for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's okay to ask, can you spend 20 minutes or a cup of coffee with me to, right. so I can pick your brain. Right. Uh, and I think, or when the time comes and you are applying for a job, it's okay to reach out. Women forget, or maybe they don't feel entitled to do it in the same way men do. Right. Uh, but it's very important. And building those relationships, especially a place like Washington, D.C., but I think the entire world is like mm -hmm. this. It's built on relationships. Absolutely. And relationships take a lot of work and they take effort to cultivate, sometimes even before you can make an ask. Absolutely. But put in the time, and then when you need some help, there'll be a lot of people there to, um, that have your back. Yeah, and I think what you're saying there, too, is if you put in the time. So meaning it's not just the, the ask, but it's looking at how can you add value before, and, and just helping each other, which it's a little bit of a catch-22, though, for women, because we're so good about helping other people. And again, going back to the advocacy piece, we're not as great about helping ourselves. So I think that that's where, because we're so focused on helping others, that gives us actually more of an angle when it comes time to helping ourselves. Because the one thing I actually get a little annoyed with sometimes with like the can I pick your brain calls mm -hmm. is, and, I, and it's probably actually much more prevalent with men in this specific regard, is when it's like, but I'm really busy. Like, why do you want to pick my brain? Like, just... Like, I, I need to have a little bit more context in what you could potentially do with picking my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Not just like, okay, like, you know, for me being a stylist, a lot of people want to talk yes. about being a stylist. And first of all, I'm going to say, it's really actually hard to build a styling business because you're having to communicate the value over and over and over again until someone's ready to invest. Mm -hmm. Unless, you know, you are able to get to those top, top, top people, have the access at the top from the very beginning. Uh, so I'm always like, I don't, I mean, I can't really honestly help you. But um, I do get those sort of, do you have, I guess, maybe parameters that makes it more intriguing once you do get that? Ooh, can we talk about this email? Yeah, and it depends on who the person is and how... Um, their, their level of enthusiasm or what what they want to do, especially around advocacy and my work. There, I meet some young people that literally want to change the world and yeah. have so much heart that it sometimes it's just, it's, I have to be the more realistic one being, okay, I don't think you're going to like solve world peace <laughs> in like a semester with your, right. A thesis that you're working on or something. I, I'm exaggerating. I've never had someone that wanted to solve world peace in a semester. But but things like that where their level of enthusiasm is so great mm -hmm. that you're like, oh what the heck? Let me help let me help out in any way I can. Absolutely. But the more meaningful relation relationships or offers of help have been what you're talking about. You know, they're mutually beneficial and they're for the long run. Absolutely. And I think about some of the longer um, relationships that I've had. And in one of my previous places of work was a large organization. And information was often um, tucked away amongst the higher level managers. 
So a friend of mine who I did I didn't know that well. Mm-hmm. Um, she was an acquaintance, a colleague that I'd seen in meetings. But we decided we would have regular lunch uh, lunches together, maybe even once a month or once in a couple of weeks, just to share information that we were hearing, mm-hmm. so we could help each other out and look out for each other. And that relationship lasted through years where we were doing that. And sure, we got along great and we had a good time, but I also knew I had eyes and ears in other departments. And those kinds of relationships are the kind that you want to build, that maybe you wouldn't get the payoff immediately, like the picking your brain example, right? but you know that there's someone looking out for you and you're looking out for that person. So when, when you get information, it can be easily shared. Well, and it speaks to the idea of having a sponsor, but this is actually more of a peer sponsor, a collaborator, where, you know, ultimately you're all, you're benefiting, which that brings up a really interesting point, talking about mentorship and sponsorship, Mm -hmm. because have you experienced having a sponsor or reaching out for a sponsor? I feel like and I'm a little bit maybe too removed from corporate America at this point yeah. to really know. Um, and I only had about three years of experience within it myself before I was like, this is broken. <laughs> I'm going to do something from the outside to try to fix fix it first. But, um, you know, yeah. I, what I have seen or read or felt is that it's not as prevalent for women to ask up for a sponsor. Yeah. So have you had any experience with that? Someone just sort of picking you out and being like, hey, or opposite you going, asking, or is it more just this peer-to-peer? Which I love the idea of the peer-to-peer. I just yeah. don't, I, and I think it's a good supplement and compliment. Yeah. But yeah. The, the relationship between a peer-to-peer, mutual, beneficial relationship versus a mentor is very different. Right. Oftentimes, especially in the corporate world, a mentorship could be highly structured mm-hmm. and almost like a requirement, which is great because it forces people to yeah. get out there and find someone within the company. Yeah. Um, for me, I've had so many mentors who officially I wouldn't, I didn't call them mentor or something right. like that, but that was their role in my life. And mm-hmm. that through from college, you know, whether it was like a professor or moving forward, someone I did an internship with or somebody that was higher up in the company that would give me good advice and feedback, not just professionally to get ahead, but how do you navigate uh, different um, like trickier situations as well, or how do you present yourself, or what, uh, what is appropriate to wear business attire, what's business casual, you know, there's so many things of your go-to person that you can ask and get honest feedback from in terms of your professional development, but then also um, your personal development as well. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, this is why that what the heck is business casual (laughs) blog post that we have on our website gets a lot of views. (laughs) It's like... But really, what is business casual? And it keeps changing, and it's totally different depending on what area of the country you live in, all of those things. So, But the the value of seeking someone out that Mm -hmm. could be your go-to person to ask for advice is so much better because then it doesn't put you in that awkward situation where someone is just telling you what 
you should be doing because you're so off base. Right. Um, and with the reminded me of the business casual comment. I've seen interns come into work environments and they think that they're dressed up, but they're dressed up, say, to a club, not for a business uh, environment. And someone has to tell them and it becomes right. very awkward. It would be much better to hear that information from a mentor that you trust. And I think that that's one really good example. And of course, there's more obvious ones with uh, career, or should I apply for this job, or right. can you help me? Uh, but with a lot of the, the personal development stuff, Absolutely. that's where it can get tricky, like relationships in the workplace, romance in the workplace, like how do I, those are real things that sometimes you wouldn't talk about with necessarily your boss, or sexual harassment. Right, right. So I guess the question then is, because if it's not your boss, then who is it? as far as the mentor. Um, any situations as you've, especially when you were corporate, that, or, you know, not mm -hmm. necessarily, you were, yeah, corporate, corporate and <laughs> nonprofit as well. Exactly. Yeah, so, so a lot of times, for me, it was someone that I had uh, who was my boss previously, through an internship mm -hmm. or through uh, a company as well, who I maintained a relationship with mm -hmm. and knew my work ethic, knew who I was as a person, and then could give me advice. And that was easier because there was just a natural fit, and I had so much respect for those right. women, and it was always women, um, that I could go to them and let them know what's going on and then get their honest feedback. So I'm hearing again, maintaining relationships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this will be the theme of this Leadership Style Power uh, podcast because, I mean, that's probably what made it easier for you to launch Popbox was yeah. the relationships that you had cultivated in the years prior, the relationships that you cultivated with your founders. Yeah. And now with technology and the internet and blogs and podcasts like this, it's really neat to reconnect with people and say, hey, we have this great idea that we talked about privately, but perhaps we can share this with others right. and write a joint blog about it or Absolutely. do a podcast like this. So exactly. the opportunities to share that information is great. And it takes the whole relationship to another level because then you're, you're teaching others and hopefully they'll learn from your experience. Absolutely. Yes. And there, are, I get, that's the other piece of it. Mentorship has so many different ways that it can look. That's not a very eloquent way of saying it, but you all know what I mean. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's noticing who's got your back and, and cultivating the relationship from a peer level, from a, you know, different levels of leadership perspective. And um, just, I think that that's a really great way to, to figure out, you know, because you knew from the very beginning sort of what your overarching purpose was. Yeah. You probably didn't know that that would lead to starting a, a company of your own, or did you? No, that's not <laughs> what I set out to do when I first moved to Washington, D.C. Yeah. But it also helps to have relationships where then when, you're, um, when your ideas evolve, you're able to grow and take advantage of that because you have all these people that are willing to support you in so many ways and look out for you. Right. 
Or even just tell you honestly, like, no, that's don't the worst do it. Idea. <laughs> yeah. But so. here's why I say this with love. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so that that's important because sometimes they serve as a reality check mm-hmm. that you need. Yeah. Or even just like the littlest things like, hey, I'm putting this statement together because it's going to be like my next big thing. Will you proofread it for me? Right. And sometimes I find proofreading, there's so many things in this world that are not proofread. Right. And you're like, I, yikes, that's yes. horrible. So you're a little network of support mm-hmm. and uh, advisors, in a way, can help with even just the mundane things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I actually like to call my power posse. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag power posse. It's much more glamorous sounding than... I mean, you know, it was more came to be because I'm like, I don't like squad goals. That felt a little bit too, you know, hashtag squad goals, Taylor Swift for the backstory of people who maybe don't know that. Um, I'm not as hip as, as that might make me seem, but you're from LA. You're automatically hip in this town. I guess that's fair. Uh, doesn't ever, I, I feel like I fit in more in DC than I, than I ever did in LA, so maybe that's why I discount that. But... Um, squad goals to me always felt a little bit like clicky, mm-hmm. whereas for me, power posse is about being inclusive and collaborative, and so that was why I started using that. And I, I, I similarly, you know, I couldn't do what I do as a solopreneur without the women around me and family and friends and, and even the men who totally on my back and see things in me that I don't always. Right. seeing myself as easily until maybe I watched something and I'm like, oh, like I actually do want to move into the fact that you do do a lot of speaking, partly as part of your passion and partly as part of promoting Popbox. Um, but I mean, my story is, and it might even be similar to yours, and it certainly speaks to what you were talking about with being nervous, is when I first started speaking, I was incredibly nervous. Like, I just literally, there were times when my voice would shake, but I knew that I needed to do it. And um, there was one specific time when I was like, oh, I wanted to hit all my points. I didn't quite hit all my points, but I watched the video. Fortunately, there was video afterwards, and I was like, I actually kind of killed it. <laughs> I'm like, wait, this is actually pretty good. Um, you know, but it's because I was being a perfectionist in my head really wanting to provide a lot of value, and then in watching it, I'm like, actually, I did provide a lot of value. Now nah, there's still more that I could have provided, but that sort of a thing. So to you and your journey to be doing more public speaking, and obviously, I think nerves are something that it means you care, right. and it's something that can help you like channel that energy into connecting with the audience. But how did you get started with speaking? Was it something you always loved, or was it just a natural progression? It was a natural progression. And for me, you know, I took debate practice in college, or debate class, whatever it's called, (laughs) um, to try to improve that. But it actually just uh, tripped me up some more, because with just so many facts and figures and this is in the 90s, so those 305 note cards, okay. I, don't, I don't know if people still use them. I still that. use them. Um, <laughs> but, but it took me a while to understand that speaking is just about sharing your 
your voice in a public way and your authentic voice. We all have a voice that we want to share and we all have a story that we want to share. So how can we share that in a way that connects with your audience? Uh, I used to just rely on just tons of facts and figures because I thought that would make me seem like an expert. But in reality, what people want is like that story that they can share with someone else. Like, oh wow, today I heard Rachna talking about this issue and how Popbox helped people connect with Congress. Mm -hmm. And that's the story. And they, they feel what I felt and they feel empowered in some way. Mm -hmm. And that's how you connect with an audience. Sharing with them tons of facts and figures might not, because after a while, right. they just lose track of all the different graphics and percentages and statistics. But when you talk about one good story, mm -hmm. about one individual, and how whatever it is changed that individual's life, mm -hmm. people remember that. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the key to connect. And even if you have a story to tell, it doesn't matter what, what business you're in. Absolutely. Um, if you have that story to tell of how you got involved or why this matters to you, people listen. And they could, especially in politics, they could be on the different a different side of the aisle, but they will hear you out. Right. And and that's and that's the important part of it. Absolutely. So again, the other theme of this is sharing your story and being authentic to connect with people authentically as you. And I think that's actually really interesting, um, partly in terms of speaking, and you feel like, oh my God, I need to keep practicing, I need to be perfect. And in life, you feel like you need to be perfect. You feel like, uh, you know, there's just, if you don't have it all, you must be doing something wrong. But really, all it is is if you just are showing up as who you are, you're already, Doing it perfectly. Yeah. And no one wants to hear from that guy that's always just telling the same story of like, I don't know, back in high school when his football team won or something like that, right? People want something fresh and relatable that connects with them. So know your audience. And I just used this random guy's story because I knew that probably didn't have some football high school <laughs> story that you might have ever told. But you know, when you relate to your audience and you know who your audience is and then connect with them in, in a way, you don't have to be just like them, but if right. you have some sort of connection with them, that it makes it just so much easier to talk and use words as, as a whatever, as a flight attendant, as an immigrant, as a working mom, as a entrepreneur, whatever it is, this is why this is important to me. Mm -hmm. and, and that really helps because then people know where you're coming from and what you're about to tell them. I love that. So good. Um, so one question I would love to ask, I have two more questions I'd love to ask of you. You obviously are very self-aware, self-assured, confident. Did you always have that confidence? And or how have you cultivated that? I don't think of, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I just still don't, don't yeah, I, honestly, I still don't think that I am confident all the time. 
I try to be, I would like to be. Uh, but growing up, I was always the tallest girl in my class. I was different. I'm, I'm an immigrant. I always had things I was so self-conscious about. Mm. Not thinking, you know, being tall and awkward might actually work to my advantage and make me stand out or make me relatable to people. And whenever I speak in front of people, I always think, oh my gosh, what if I like trip and fall? <laughs> or what if I say the right. wrong thing? Or, and after a while, you know, you just have to like block that stuff out because the chances are that that might happen, right. but still it's okay. Right. You just have to learn to laugh at yourself mm -hmm. and not take it too seriously. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, know that you're there to share some story because some audience wants to hear from you. Other, otherwise, they won't show up. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, now you have to get worried about people not showing up. But people want to hear from you, and they want to be heard as well. So if you make it about building a relationship, mm -hmm. it makes it much less intimidating. Absolutely. And in terms of personal confidence, we all know what makes us confident. And we hear it in sports a lot where... Where, and I'm not a sports person, so I don't know why I have these sports analogies <laughs> suddenly, but uh, with, with rituals that they do, mm -hmm. where they have to wear a certain jersey, or they don't get a haircut, or you know, they have all these rituals that help, help them get to the big game. Right. So for us, we just need to find whatever that is. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have like a favorite power suit or a favorite color that you love to wear or if you are nervous because you hate chipped fingernail polish and you know take care of those things right. so that you feel the best version of yourself before you get there and that go goes without saying to be prepared as right. well when you know what you're talking about absolutely then that makes it much less intimidating and you feel much more confident um, but but also, we all know it's challenging to make a good first impression. So whatever makes us feel comfortable with whether it's what we're wearing or what um, we bring with us, uh, I always, whenever I speak to audiences, even a small audience, I always take a sheet of paper, just regular white um, uh, printer paper, and fold it in um, fold it twice so it becomes like a square essentially and then I just take some notes about what it is I'm going to say. I don't read it, it's not something, it's not my speech that I've written down, Right. but it's just enough information that in case I suddenly had like like just a brain freeze or something, I, I would know where I am and the points I want to hit. And that almost becomes my crutch when I'm holding on to it because I know worst case scenario I have this little piece right. of paper. Right. And that helps me. That's my little thing. So we all can, can you know, create that something that we have that will make us feel confident. So it's more about taking the steps to put yourself essentially in sort of a peak performance state. Mm -hmm. So you're not distracted. If you're if you're thinking about what your hair looks like or fidgeting with right. your hair, then you know what is the solution to that. And yeah. From a clothes perspective, like wear something that feels good from a comfort level, yes. as well as you know looks good from a tailored, you know perhaps a little bit of color perspective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't have to be a lot of color. You know, you gotta do you is my whole thing. But um, you know, just these little 
I mean, I'm even hearing it almost like self-care rituals. Right. To be in the right energy and mind space to show up. Yeah. And, and it's just about, we all have our insecurities and we all know what our insecurities are. Mm -hmm. So if we just work to just eliminate those beforehand, right. we'll walk into whatever it is, a speech or a meeting or a job interview with all of that handled. So then we can just focus on what's at hand. And, and I think that that's important. And it reminds me of, did you ever watch Mary Tyler Moore? I didn't. Okay, so Mary Tyler Moore back in the day was like the single woman making it on her own and um, there was a scene where she is at a job interview and she had like a snag, a run in her hosiery mm. and she was so self-conscious about that and it was something that like we all have related to where, right. where there is something whether it's, it's like a big run in our tights or our you know, whatever it is, where where suddenly then all of our attention is focused on that, and we're not focused on whatever the topic is at hand. Mm -hmm. So we want to just make sure that all of those things are <laughs> are handled, so then we can just focus on what our brain needs to focus on. Absolutely. So what's next for you with Popbox and the building out out of everything? Because it's been. When, when did you found it again? 2011. Um, 2011. 2011. Yeah. So, um, well, this, if you can guess, Washington, D.C. has had oh, unprecedented. That's true. <laughs> huh. <laughs> so you weren't under a rock all this no. time. No. <laughs> so uh, we've had just so many people that are interested in keeping track of what's happening in Congress mm -hmm. and then speaking out. Mm -hmm. But that need for more information has... I have never seen it, and I've been in D.C. for 20 years now. That's amazing. And I mean, it's not amazing, but it's also amazing. I'm excited that people are activated. Right. And, and people on both sides of the aisle feel like they need to finally know what's happening. And not just, oh, I'll show up and vote once mm -hmm. in two years or once in four years, but I want to know every day. Right. So if you go to Popbox, you can sign up for a weekly email, okay. or you can sign up for even a daily email if you really want to know what's happening. <laughs> I love it. Guys, yeah. do it. Popbox.com. I'll put the link below, but it's P-O-P-V-O-X. Exactly. Uh, and we've also built a lot, of, um, a lot of information around what's happening at the state level. Mm -hmm. There's state legislatures. Every state has its own legislature. Mm -hmm. They meet at different times, um, and... They are also considering a lot of very important pieces of legislation. So now you can find what's happening at your state level mm -hmm. uh, on Popbox as well. So that's really important too. You don't just have that one responsibility to Congress, um, but Absolutely. also at the state level. And you can impact the state level right? a lot more. Oh, much easier. And my recommendation also is, of course, write a letter. But then share it with your networks as well, mm -hmm. and that's that's the um, the the socially shareable tools that we have. Where once you write a letter, you're immediately given the option of sharing it on Facebook or Twitter, or just via email. I love that. So you can empower your friends to do it too. And a lot of people right now are feeling like they don't know what's happening around them. They're questioning their political parties. They're questioning their communities. And now's a good time to reach out and say, hey, regardless of where they are, who they voted for, it's important to hold our lawmakers accountable. So if you go to Pop Ops, you can do that, and then you can help inform others. And 
my favorite thing about my job is when I hear from a user saying, you know, for the first time I felt really engaged and part of the policy making process. And that is something that's just so empowering and it's so easy. So easy. Thank goodness for you. <laughs> and you as well. Um, final question. I would love to know how you have continued to invest in yourself. Not just your business, because I know it's really easy to always put money back into your business, but how have you continued to invest in yourself as you've grown in your career and your leadership? You know, it's something that well, I often struggle with, and I think a lot of women struggle with, where they they have all these roles that they play, and they want to just invest all their time and energy and money into those roles without thinking about themselves. Um, the thing that I have really really enjoyed, uh, especially more in the last six months, I think just naturally after the election um, and as people got uh, excited about the election, is all these opportunities in Washington, D.C. where there's book events, there's women's networking events, mm -hmm. there's panels of women speaking about entrepreneurship or about uh, advocacy, politics, anything. And there's right. tons of organizations out there that you can belong to. Some, most are free. Mm -hmm. And take the time to sign up for those things. Create, find new people to network with and a, an entire new community to connect with. And, and that really, finding resources in other women and taking the time, not just being right. on your phone while you're right. there. Absolutely. But taking the time to really listen and hear from others. Uh, and you might learn something in the process. You might have a good time. Uh, or you might build a relationship that will last with you well beyond. And then what? who knows what opportunities will come from I that. I know. Maybe your next co-founder for your next big thing. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm hearing you invest time in yourself. Yes. And, and for you, connections are really important. Connecting yeah. with people is really important. Yeah. So if you're an introvert, maybe something that's not quite as <laughs> right. You might not want to go to like networking intensive, events. but yeah. yeah. But maybe you can do it one on one over coffees or something. Right. Absolutely. And but just taking the time to to do that. And time is sometimes the most precious. It is the most valuable resource because it's not renewable. Yeah. You can make more money. <laughs> right. But, but to, when you're there, to pay yeah. attention and be focused and not be on Don't waste phone. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming and thank being you. a part of the Leadership Style Power podcast, Racha. I really appreciate it. I've so enjoyed getting to know you. And just it's like you're such a light. And I'm so happy that you were able to share your gems of wisdom around know, nurturing relationships, connecting, and, you know, creating the next level of, next layer, what's the word, <laughs> creating the next <laughs> round of advocates for yourself as well as for everyone, the country, the world. Thank you for inviting me and for doing this because it's really important that we share, we both share our knowledge and advice, and I hope you keep doing this podcast. Thank you. So we will be back for more Leadership Style Power for you all. As you can start to see, we are talking about what it means to show up as a leader, as a woman, and we're getting all sorts of little jewels of wisdom with each woman's unique 
special gift. So we'll see you next time. Until then, keep owning your style power.